We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. All right. Well, I'm going to get into the message. We've been in this message series called Prosper Soul. How many of you feel like this is, this is helping you grow closer to Jesus, getting free from some things? And, and really, we're going to do a little bit of a shift um, starting today where I've been kind of helping us as we're, we've been dealing with some things in our soul that can really um, uh, wounds from the past and things that weigh on our soul. And now in the next several weeks, I'm going to start to bring some teaching to you that is going to help us ha- protect our soul. Like it's one thing to get free of the things that are kind of weighing us down, but then how do we not only get free from it, but how do we stay free? And how do we protect our soul from getting weighed down again? Because I believe for too many of us, there, there, there are things that we experience on a soul level, um, whether it's depression or anxiety, uh, stress, anger, sin, no matter what it is, that God doesn't want you to just be free because you come to a church service and you get some prayer and you feel free for the moment. But, but God wants to teach us how to live free, how to stay free and protect our soul. So I want to start out this morning with the scripture that I believe is really the key to this. And that is out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says this, it says, above all else. In other words, like this has to be the most important thing that you and I do. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, we, when we hear that word heart, we think, you know, oh, our feelings and everything. But, but what I needed to remind you of is that the word heart in, in Hebrew uh, and in Hebrew culture, um, what it meant was it was everything that you are, your whole being, everything that you are, when they would use the word heart, that that's what they meant. They looked at the heart as the core of who you are, your identity, your life, um, everything that you are is your heart. And so really in modern day translations, you could, you could interchange that word heart for soul. As I'll remind you, the soul is, is the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so when, um, when the proverb says, above all else, guard your heart, Think of it like this, guard your soul, for out of it, everything flows your whole life. Can you put that scripture back up? Everything flows out of that place of your soul. And this is why it's so important that we not only understand um, what can happen to us when we allow things into our life that start affecting our soul and start affecting our mind, our will, our emotions, the way we think, the way we feel, our desires, that everything that we experience on a soul level, there has an entryway. Like, the, like it has to get into our soul and we are the gatekeepers of our soul. And this scripture, scripture reminds us that this has to be one of the most important things that we do as followers of Jesus. That we guard our heart, that we recognize that we are the gatekeepers of our soul. And what we allow in will either bring life to us, feed that place in our spirit that brings life to us, that brings peace to us, that brings joy to us, or it will mess with our soul. So I want us to pray, and then we're going to get into um, some scripture this morning. I got a lot of ground to cover with you, a lot of teaching to do, but the title of my message this morning is Recover Your Soul. 
recover your soul. John 10.10 says this, and it gives this contrast between the, the reality is that we have an unseen enemy of our soul. And what he's trying to do versus what God is trying to do in our lives. And Jesus himself said it like this. This is the amplified version. He says, the thief, meaning Satan, the devil, comes only to do three things. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your soul. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy all the good things that God is trying to do. Jesus, in contrasting what the enemy is coming to do in your soul with what he came to do. He said, I have come that they may have and enjoy life. Do you know that God wants your soul to be filled with joy? Do you know that he wants you to be, um, he wants you to enjoy the life that he's given you and have it not just a little bit. I love this. He wants you to have it in abundance. The Bible says to the full, till it overflows. He doesn't want us to just have a little bit of it. If we're gonna be honest with each other, most of the time, that's, that's what we're walking around with, a little bit. I got a little bit of joy. I got a little bit of peace. But Jesus came so that you and I can have and experience the life that he died on the cross to give you and me, that we can experience life, peace, joy, and we can have good relationships and that we would enjoy the journey. Amen. Anybody want to enjoy the journey of following Jesus? Anybody want to enjoy their life? I mean, we learned last week, Jesus said himself, in this life, you're going to have trouble. He doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. But just like a, a ship, or actually a better analogy would be, um, I like watches. I like watches, watches especially that are waterproof. And what Jesus promised us wasn't that we wouldn't have watches that wouldn't get wet. A waterproof watch doesn't mean it won't get wet. It doesn't mean that water won't touch it. What it means is the water won't get on the inside and mess with the way it functions. The same thing applies to our soul. In this life, hey, you're gonna have trouble. You probably came in here with a lot of troubles. Maybe you came in this morning, you got into a fight with your wife on the way here, fighting with the kids. You know, I always, you know, we, I got five kids, so I know the deal, man. Trying to, get, trying to get five kids out the door, get them to church, you know, and then you're trying to do the, you're driving, but you're trying to hit them, you know, in the, on the way here, and your wife, just don't work. Somebody needs to invent like an extended arm that you can like. But we have trouble. Right? Many of us, we're, we've got things, real things in our life right now. And the thing is that God wants us in the middle of the trouble to be protected from the storm. That, that, that our soul is protected. And so, you know, this, this idea of recovering your soul, I believe that there are some things, now listen to me, because some of you, you, you feel this. You feel it every day. I believe that there's some things that we have allowed the enemy to steal from us. And Jesus paid the price on the cross and he defeated all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt, and he gave us, just like we sang, back authority so that we have the authority. We are empowered by Jesus Christ himself to take back every area of our life that the enemy has stolen and recover it. I chose that word recover on purpose because recover has two meanings, essentially. 
One of them is to recover something that was previously owned by you that was stolen or taken and that it is returned back to you. In other words, you recover it. I think there's so many things in our life that we've allowed the enemy to come in and steal from us and that today's the day, I believe for some of us, that today's the day that you recover those things. Today's the day that you say no to the areas that you've allowed the enemy to have access into your life and you shut that door and you take them back with the authority that Jesus Christ has given you. The other aspect of, of that word recover is this. How many of you remember when you were in grade school and like the first day of school, you'd get all your books and I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up I, on that first day of school, I would get my books and I would have to recover the books. So the book might be, you know, tattered up, beat up or whatever, but as a, as a way to protect the book, you'd go home and, you know, you'd cut up uh, paper bags from the grocery store and you'd tape them. Anybody, you know how to do that? I, I wasn't very good at that, so I, I need some help. How to do it? Some people are really pros at that, you know, kind of like origami for books. But um, they, would, they, would, they, would, they would cover or recover the book to protect it. I believe that there's areas of your life that the enemy has been messing with your soul because you've left him uncovered. When I used to, um, when I used to travel for business, I would go, go to London oftentimes. And when I would go to London, I, I never rented a car. You don't, you don't rent a car in London. First of all, they drive on the wrong side of the road, which is weird and always messed me up. I almost got hit by a couple of times by a car because of that. But you don't rent a car. You take public transportation. And one of the, the means of public transportation is the metro. It's the underground subway. And, and that's what I would use. I'd get like a day pass or a week pass when I was traveling for business. But I would never forget when you were about, you're waiting for the train and uh, you'd be on the platform and the train would stop, people are pouring out and people are about to get in, the doors open and this really nice Siri-like uh, English voice would say, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Really soothing, just like that too. I keep saying that to you. That kind of puts you to sleep a little bit. And it was a reminder that um, before you get on the train, you've got to recognize that there's a gap between where you're standing and what you're trying to get on to take you where you want to go. I believe that too many of us are minding some gaps in our soul. We need to, rather, mind some gaps in our soul because God is trying to take you somewhere. And if you're going to get to the place where God is trying to take you, you've got to be able to mind the gap, close the gap in order to have God take you where he wants you to go in your soul. The plan, the purpose, the destiny that God has for some of us. Some of us, we've allowed the enemy of our soul to steal, rob, and destroy. And in worst case scenario, some of us, we're in this place and we're weighed down with guilt and shame because we think we're too far gone. Like I blew it. I missed my, my, my shot. It's too late for me. And I'm here to remind you this morning that it's never too late with Jesus. Jesus paid the price for you to recover your life. And we can do that. I believe that there's some things that we need to recognize, some areas of our soul that we need to mind the gap and close the door. I like what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says this. He says a lot of things, but this is one of the uh, quotes that I like that I think we need to be reminded of every once in a while. He says, Satan hails as both the skeptic and the superstitious alike. 
Satan hails both the superstitious or the skeptic and the superstitious alike. What does that mean, Pastor Lance? That means this. I think for many of us, sometimes we can either give the devil too much credit in our life, i.e., the devil didn't make you eat that Krispy Kreme donut. I know it's hot and fresh, but he didn't make you pull in when you saw the light. He didn't make you buy, go to the counter and buy the dozen. And he definitely didn't make your hand shove it in your mouth. <laughs> that wasn't the devil. The devil didn't make you run out of gas. <laughs> that was you, stupid. You didn't look at, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Stupid is, stupid does. I mean, we do stupid things. Let's face it, I've done it. That little light comes on, that doesn't mean you have 20 more miles. Okay? I know it says that, but the reality is you could go anytime. There wasn't a demon on your gas tank that made you run out of gas. And it's so funny. I hear people say, to them, oh, Pastor Lance, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what the devil's done to me this week. And I'm like, really? Like, is that the devil or are we just making stupid choices? Right? So I don't think the devil's around every corner and the devil doesn't make us do everything. But I definitely think that we can also go to the other side of it and says he has no influence in my life or this world. And the reality is the Bible talks a lot about that we have this unseen enemy. The Bible says he's the prince of this world. He's the prince of the air. And that he's seeking for someone who he can devour that he is, he is a master of deception, he's the father of lies, and he is a very real force, him and his demonic minions and his dark world. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that we actually have an unseen enemy that is, has power, there's principalities, and there's rulers of this dark world. There's a darkness, and you can feel that, can't you? And somehow we're okay with psychics and you know, horror movies and, and thinking that's all fun and cool and astrology, but yet we can negate that there is a reality that we live in, that there is this unseen force at work in the world that wants access to your soul so that he can steal, kill, and destroy the purpose, the plan, the life that Jesus came to give you. And if we're not aware of that, we can foolishly be unwise. Peter said, don't, don't be unwise to the schemes of the enemy. But be wise, like understand that he is trying to gain access to your soul. Why? Because if he can get in, and let me, let me say this by the way, he has no legal right or authority. You have all power. There's nothing to be afraid of because he only gets empowered when we give him that power. He has no legal right to you and me unless we give it to him. But he tricks us just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. I believe he deceives us into opening ourselves up and agreeing with lies, thoughts, and sin that he presents to us that when we agree with him and his lies, we now can open ourselves up. I think a perfect picture is this in Ephesians 4, 26. It says this, in your anger, Paul's reminding us, in your anger, do not sin. Do you realize that you could sin and not it, I mean, you could be angry and not sin. That, that even Jesus had a, a holy anger about him, that, that he, he could get upset about things that he was seeing in the world, but sin not. He says, in your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, that there is a, a timeline associated with our emotions and our feelings that if you don't deal with it, you can open the door to allow the enemy to have a foothold in our life. 
She says, number one, you can get angry. You can, in other words, you can feel the emotion of anger. You can have feelings from your soul that are very real, but you don't have to act on them. You don't have to sin. And he says, and by the way, don't let the sun go down without taking care of this. In other words, you need to take care of these things that are going on in your soul. Otherwise, this can happen in verse 27. And do not give the devil a foothold. When we sin and when we don't address sin in our life and when we don't address the emotions that, that we feel sometimes in our soul and we leave them open, we leave a crack in our soul for the enemy to put his foot in. And he gets a foothold in him. And you know what happens when you get a foothold? You lose leverage and he gains leverage. And slowly he gets in, he pries that door open and he gains access to our soul and he starts messing with you. And trust me, he comes in with all his friends. Depression, anger, bitterness, Come on, fear, anxiety, stress. And we wonder why we're so stressed out. We wonder why we come to church and we experience the goodness of God and the presence of God and we feel the peace of God in his presence and we have joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Come on, down in my soul. But then I leave this place and all of a sudden I start feeling it again. And let me tell you this, that I believe as a Christian, if you're here and you, you, have, you have sold out to Jesus, You've committed your life to him. You would say, I'm a born again Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe that Christians cannot be possessed by the devil or any demonic force. I'm a, let me just say that on the record because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if, now, let me tell you, possession is when you have no control. You, you have no control. You have no say in what you do, the decisions you make, the thoughts you think, all those things. But I do believe that Christians can be um, influenced and, and, and that we can allow um, oppression from demonic forces in our lives only when we give them legal right and access by our agreements and by our sins. So I want to give you a couple of things that I believe are going to help because I think some of us are being messed with in our soul. And I think that for a lot of us, the problem is we've got to number one, recognize it. And number two, we got to start shutting some doors. We've got to start mining some gaps. And the first one, this is probably the biggest one, and this is going to be like a, a duh, Pastor Lance, but I'm telling you, I don't think that we recognize the detriment of sin. So the first thing that we need to do is, number one, shut the door to sin. Shut the door to it. In other words, don't keep it open as an option. <laughs> Too many of us do that, right? It's like, well, you know, I try not to sin, and, 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 and we kind of, you know, reason it away and this is where the enemy is just he is a awesome deceiver that's what he does there is a deceptive nature to sin you remember what what the enemy did in the garden to eve what did he do he questioned her did god really say man i see this happening especially in young people today they're questioning the very word of god did god really say that did god really say homosexuality is a sin did God really say, oh yeah, you're going to go there, Pastor? Let me tell you something. If pastors don't start speaking the truth from the pulpit, we're in trouble. We're already done. The other side of that coin is God loves you right where you are, but he loves you enough that he doesn't want you to stay there. And so as the church, 
We have to learn how to stand on the truth, but still have grace and show love to people because God still cares about people who are sin. Man, I was a sinner. I didn't deserve, I still don't deserve God's grace. And he came for me, right? So I love that you cheered, but don't cheer uh, thinking that I'm against people in a lifestyle like that because I'm not, I'm for them. Because God's for them. He loves them. Just as much as he loves you and loves me. And your sin might be different. Hmm, come on. <laughs> it may not be the same sin, but we love to judge other people for their sin, but justify our own. Ooh. It's getting hot in here. But let me tell you something. I, I do believe that we don't realize the destructive nature of sin. I believe that Satan has tricked us in believing that we can sin, we could dabble in sin, and it's okay. Like God will forgive us and he will because that is true. But even the truth, he will take the truth and he will twist it to make us justify sin and continue. Now, let me tell you something. There's a difference between I messed up, I, I fell into temptation and I sinned and somebody that continues in sin, habitual sin. We continually choose to sin. I believe that if we sin and we recognize we've sinned, we repent and we ask God to forgive us, he is faithful, right? The Bible says he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. However, I think that too many times if we don't, number one, quickly, remember there's a timetable associated with this. This is why it's so important if we do mess up to deal with it right away, repent of it. Because if you don't, you leave yourself open and vulnerable to the enemy coming in like a flood. And too many of us are getting plagued with it. So repent of it and, and then ask God to give you the grace to continue to live in a place of holiness and integrity. And by the way, talk to somebody about that. Because this is, I think this is one of the greatest areas where the enemy reaps guilt and shame on our soul. And, and we, we've got this... Um, we're, we're oppressed. We become oppressed. We have an oppressed soul. Y'all remember Peanuts? <laughs> remember, remember the character Pigpen? Uh, poor old guy. Man, wherever he went, you know, there was like just cloud over him. He was dirty. He had stuffed dirt all over him. And he, and he kind of stunk, you know, because everywhere he went, people didn't, you know, they, they left. And, uh, and so, um, but you know that we can have that same type of cloud, that dirt, hanging over our soul. It's guilt, it's shame that are just hanging there, that are oppressing us every single day from the minute we get up. That same oppression kept some of you away from church today. Some of you thought about not coming today because you just feel that cloud over your soul. Some of it's just this darkness. You feel it and, and you don't know what it is and it's because we haven't, we haven't dealt with sin. God wants you to deal with sin. He says, come now, let's settle this thing. Even though your, your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And God is faithful, man, but we got to deal with it. Now, now one of the ways we, we stay out of it, that's dealing with it. And we're going to do some of that at the end of service here in a little while. But how do, we, how do we stay away from it? How do we walk in freedom from sin? I, I believe Jesus gives us a, a beautiful picture in John chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, and going on. He says this, to the Jews who had believed in him. Look, notice, he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to people like us. He said, Jesus said, if you hold, now you want to underline this because this is the part that we often forget. He said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. 
In other words, like we think that just because maybe we raise the hand at a church service, we call ourselves Christians, we say, yeah, we believe in God, but Jesus is saying, hold on, hold on now. If you really are my disciple, you don't just do that. You actually hold to my teaching. And then he goes on to say this in verse 32. And this is the part we love. He says, then, notice there's a then. If you, then, this is the result. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some translations say the truth will actually make you free. It's a beautiful picture of how when we allow the word of God to work in our soul, that slowly through the sanctification process, the word of God is starting to make me more and more free. In other words, you might be here today and, and God starts doing something in your life. He starts moving in your life. He's in the process of making you free. You don't feel totally free. And so the enemy will come in and he'll lie to you and think, see, this doesn't work. It's a hoax. Don't believe what that preacher said. He don't know what he's talking about. He says, this is, this is a joke. You're not really free. See, you still can't. But the word of God says it will make you free. Little by little, over time, as you do this, as you make the truth your own. So he goes on in verse 33 and they answer him. They're like, wait a minute, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves. They were blind to the fact that their souls were in bondage. They didn't even realize it. And I believe that that, that blindness actually deceived them from recognizing Jesus to be the Messiah. Do you know that if we don't deal with sin, sin has a deceptive nature that it will put this, this coating over your soul so everything you see, everything you feel, you, you can miss God because of sin in your life. That's one of my greatest fears, is that I'm gonna miss what God is trying to say to me, do in my life, or do in somebody's life that I have influence over, and, and I'll completely miss it because I didn't see it, I didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it, they said, we're Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They didn't even realize they needed to be set free, that's how deceived they were. And then in verse 34, Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And, and then he gives us an important truth. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What do you mean by that? Does that mean I've lost my salvation if I sin? No, I don't believe what that verse is saying. What I believe Jesus was really trying to say was this. He says, you become a slave to sin. And when you become a slave to sin, you miss out on the benefits of sonship. You miss out on the full inheritance of everything I paid the price to give you as a son and daughter of God. What's my inheritance, Pastor Lance? My inheritance is peace. My inheritance is joy. Come on, in, fullness, in the fullness of God and in the Holy Ghost. Come on, my inheritance is self-control, is righteousness, is peace, is joy. Are all these things that God paid the price and is given to us an inheritance. And you know what? We forfeit the rights. In other words, it's like if God put a million dollars in your bank account and, and you're not paying bills because you, you can't get to that money because we've chosen to sin, we're not experiencing the fullness of everything that Jesus paid the price for and our soul is paying the price. But what's the key? How do we experience the freedom from sin in our life? If you hold to my teaching. You know what that word hold in the Greek is the word mimi. And what it means is, it means to remain, I'm sorry, mino. 
It means to remain, to tarry, to continue in, to endure, to abide, to live in, to dwell in, to make your home in his word. You know what's going to set you free today? When you decide to hold on to the word of God and make it your own. Put it down. Let it go deep within your soul. And this is the problem, I believe, for a lot of us. We skim scripture. We read it. We hear about it. We read the verse of the day. We skim over it. We're skimming. We're skimming. We're skimming. And we're not allowing, allowing the word of God go deep within my soul. There is something. This is why you want to get set free? Start meditating on scripture. I know that there is usually, for all of us, there's usually one or two sins in our life that continually trip us up. Right? Right now, you're even thinking about it. You know what it is. Well, what if you found some scripture verses that dealt with that sin and you memorized it, you meditated on them day and night, and you allowed that scripture? Uh, the, great, the great psalmist David said this. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. How did Jesus defeat the enemy and temptation when there was 40 days where he had no food, no water, and he was in a vulnerable place? And the enemy of his soul knew it. He said, he saw a window of opportunity. That's how you have to know. Um, when you are hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, you gotta watch over your soul. And we're gonna talk about in, in the next couple of weeks how to care for your soul, how to have rest for your soul so that you're not weakened. Your soul is in a state of weakness, but it's strong, it's strengthened. And, and so the enemy comes to Jesus in this place of weakness thinking he's got an opportunity. And how did Jesus, with every temptation to sin, how did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. It is written. We diminish the power of the Word of God. Do you know that the Word of God is powerful? It is active. It is alive. It is, it is, it is the, the very seed and Word of God. When you allow it to go deep into your soul, get planted in your soul, and you memorize it, and it's right there on the tip of your tongue that you can you can fight every temptation that the enemy comes to you with. But what if you took those areas of sin and you started, you started telling the devil what God says about those things? I know a guy that, that defeated an addiction to porn just by memorizing scripture. And every time he was tempted, he would remind himself and remind the devil of the truth of God. So it's kind of like this. Sin leads you into slavery. Obedience leads you into freedom. Sin always leads you into slavery. But obedience to the word of God leads you more and more into the freedom of God. And if we would just start saying yes to God and saying no to the devil, come on, just say no to the devil. Come on, remember that song? I don't remember how it goes, but you got it. All right, the next thing, the next thing that we need to do, shut the door, son, to you. There you go. Shut the door, keep out the devil. Y'all get it later. Where's the worship team? <laughs> All right, the next thing we need to do is we need to protect our eyes and ears. Protect your eyes and your ears. Now, I, I, my wife and I, we, we get on our kids all the time about the music that they're listening to. And, you know, they're like, oh, come on, Dad. Like, it's just, you know, this is just this song man you know it's like this is good music dude and I'm like yeah dude but did you listen to the lyrics dude like did you hear what, what they're talking about and 
dropping F-bombs or what, my hoe, you know what I mean? All this stuff. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, you might just think that's just music, but the reality is, is those lyrics are going through your ears into your soul. How do we remember songs like I just started singing from 20 years ago? Somehow it got in my ear, the gatekeeper to my soul. Listen, your eyes and your ears are gatekeepers to your soul. Jesus himself said the eyes are the lamp of the body. If your eyes are bad, how much you know, more is that darkness inside of you? But if your eyes are good, they bring light to all the rest of your soul. And when we look at things that we should not be looking at, and, we, and I don't mean just glancing, I mean staring. I mean gazing. There's, an, there, there's actually probably one of the most interesting stories in the Bible um, is in Genesis chapter 30. It's when Jacob is uh, serving his uh, uncle Laban and God is starting to transfer wealth from uncle Laban who tricked uh, Jacob out of the wife that he really wanted and he promised him. And God is starting to bless Jacob and transfer wealth from Laban to him. And how he does it is a really interesting way that there's a spiritual truth in there. And how he does it is he, he says, his uncle Laban makes him a deal. He said, you take care of all the flocks. And he said, um, you get the blemished ones. In other words, you get the ones, the sheep, the lambs that are spotted, that, are, that have lines on them, that are blemished. I get to keep the pure ones. The pure ones were the money. Those were the money goats. Come on now. And uh, I know we don't know nothing about, you know, selling goats. and have, Maybe some of you do, 4-H or whatever. Um, <laughs> But the, the unblemished ones, those were the ones that were worth the most money. And so those were the money ones. You wanted those. So Jacob does something really interesting. You got to get this. He says where the, the, the sheep would um, go for water, the watering trough, when they would go to there, he said he laid um, pieces of sticks out in the, put them in the watering trough. And as they would come to water and they mated, right by that watering trough. What they did is when they would go to get water, they would see the lines and they would see their reflection in the water with the lines and then they would reproduce. The spiritual truth in that is what you focus on, you reproduce. If you are looking at things and you are focusing on things and seeing things, you're gonna reproduce what you see. The biblical, um, the, the positive side of that, it says that there's a scripture that says that we are transformed as we behold Jesus, as we continually look at on his face. And, and by the way, Jesus, you remember, Jesus is the word in the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So actually, when you're reading scripture, you're actually seeing the face of Jesus through scripture, and you are getting the truth of God, and it will change you and reproduce the life of Jesus in you as you read scripture. You get that? It's a weird story, but I'm telling you, there's an important principle there that what we look at, you ever, I'll, I'll give you an example. You ever go car shopping and you go car shopping and you see this awesome Honda Civic SI and it's so cool and you love it and you leave the car lot, you don't buy it, but man, you just, you stared at that black beauty and it's got 20 inch rims and it's sweet and you just envision yourself driving that car and then all of a sudden everywhere you go you start seeing honda civics right come on anybody you know what i'm talking about why because you fixed your eyes on it and what you give your attention to gets you 
What you give your attention to, what you focus on, will grab a hold of you, and you allow access to your soul through what you look at and what you listen to. That's why you can't, you've got to read scripture more than you listen to Fox News. Ooh, I'm gonna go over here because you ain't gonna like me over there anymore. You gotta read scripture more than you watch CNN, more than you read the newspapers. Why? Because you ain't gonna see, you're gonna miss out on what God's doing because you're gonna be so focused on what's happening in the world. I remember just like a month ago, I, I was watching a football game. After the football game, a Spokane news station came on. I promise you, for 20 minutes, all they did was talk about coronavirus and how it was killing people, how the hospitals were full, um, all, all these things. You know, they, they shared a story about uh, a young person who was, you know, in ER because of dealing with... You know, I started feeling fear rise up in me while I'm watching this. Why? Because I gave my eyes and my ears to a news source that is inferior to the greater news and to a higher understanding of reality and what truth is. Even though it's a real thing, I don't negate that. It's real, but I've got a God that's greater. And I don't fear a virus because you know what? If it's my time to go, it's my time to go. My life is in God's hands, right? That doesn't mean I'm gonna be stupid and, and you know, just, you know, whatever not wash my hands or use antibacterial stuff and just be dumb. I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to be afraid of it. I don't have to be afraid. My life is in God's hands. Hey, if he wants you to die, you're going to die. Sorry to say that, but it's the truth. And he wants me alive. If you're here, Hey, this is the good news. You're here. You're alive. You may not be in perfect health, but you got health. You got a sound mind. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. And I'm alive right here, right now. And I am happy to be in the present with the presence of God and knowing that there's a plan greater for me because I'm alive. We got to get freed up in the soul. We got to watch what we see, what we hear, what we let in, the movies we watch, the music we listen to. We are opening ourselves up. Man, you know, it was like when I was in college or high school and a girl broke up with me and I'd start listening to, you know, some sad love, love songs, and then just wallowing in it and self-pity, and all of a sudden you're just like, you're like mush, and you feel bad, and you know what? Get out of it, man. Close the door. Stop it. You got to pull yourself out, and here's the third one. This is the way you do it. You got to capture your thoughts, or they'll capture you. You got to capture your thoughts, or they'll take you captive. See, you, you know this, right? That not every thought is your thought. And that you're, you are the gatekeeper of the thoughts that you think. I love that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Things You Could Think. And I love Dr. Seuss because he's weird and crazy. But in that book, it's like you could think all these things. And none of them could be real. You ever do that? You ever have like a little pain and all of a sudden you get a thought, Oh, that's probably cancer. Oh, you gonna you got a tumor now, man. You could better go to the doctor, you're gonna die. Like, you know, it's like all these thoughts one after another that start invading us. And and here's the deal with thoughts. Somebody said this. Somebody said you you can allow birds to fly over your head, but don't make them nest on top of your brain, right? Something like that. And and the point is is that in a course of a day, I think we think over two thousand thoughts in a day. Every minute of every day, you realize that there are three voices that are trying to speak to you. The first one is God. 
The second one is yourself. It's your flesh. It's your past, your experiences, all those things. And the third one is the enemy of your soul. And the enemy knows that he doesn't have any legal right to you, but one of the ways that he gains legal access to you is through your thoughts. So he'll propose a thought to you. You ever see those little thought bubbles on the cartoons? So, and the devil on one, one shoulder, the angel on the other. That's exactly what it's like. He'll propose a thought to you, and, and what you do with that thought is the difference between him gaining access or you shutting the door. You taking it captive or it taking you captive. Because you have to recognize that in that thought, is this, is this the truth? Because the greatest thing that the enemy wants to do with thoughts is he wants to lie to you. He wants to lie to you about who you are, about the experiences you've experienced, about God. And if he could get you to buy into or agree with the lie, then now once you agree with his lie, you give him legal right and access to that thought. And he gains entrance into our soul. And notice that when you start thinking this, um, you know, most psychologists call these, that there's neural pathways in your brain. That once you think a, think a thought the first time, it gets easier and easier to think that same thought over and over again. This is where some of us get stuck in a stronghold and our souls get in bondage because your, your mind, your thoughts are the gatekeeper to your soul. So you have to take every thought captive, recognizing you have to think about what you're thinking about. If you start getting depressed, if you start getting think, feeling anxious, if you start feeling fearful, I guarantee you this, if you will trace back to the origin of where that began, it always begins with a thought. A thought that leads to another thought that makes me anxious, that makes me fearful, and now I'm slowly opening up my soul to the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says it like this. This is the passage translation. I love the way that it says it here. Um, some people call it uh, not a translation, but an um, adaptation or whatever. You call it what you want, um, but I just want to make it known that this isn't a, a direct translation. Okay? We got that straight? Listen to what it says now. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. See, it's trying to come against the true knowledge of God. The enemy doesn't want you to know God because he knows if you know God, you'll know the truth. And guess what? The truth will set you free. And so what does he do? He, bring, he, he brings these deceptive thoughts to us so that we start thinking those thoughts and start agreeing with him. And then what happens? In order to defeat that, we have to do what? We capture like prisoners of war every thought that insists that it and insists that it bows down in obedience to the anointed one jesus some translations say i cast down every thought so this is what say i recognize this thought is not from god i'm throwing it at the feet of jesus i don't agree with that that is not the truth there's sometimes people i've said some things and they said you know like personally they'll say to me do you really believe that is that really true and i'll have to stop and say analyze. No, that's not really true. That's a lie. And I've started to agree with that. And it started to affect me. How many lies are you believing right now that are affecting your soul? That you're just under this weight because you believe something that is not true about you. You're believing things that are not true about other people. We don't fight or wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but powers and principalities. So I love this. So what's the antidote? Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious for anything. Some things, anything, nothing. Don't be anxious. As soon as those anxious thoughts come, this is what you do. Every time, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present my request to God. And when I do that, so you recognize I'm getting anxious. I'm starting to feel fearful. I'm having thoughts that I know are not good. What do I do? I start immediately praying and give them to God. God, I don't want to. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be anxious. Forgive me for worrying about my finances. God, I trust you with my finances. I know you've got me. You've always had me. Right now, I'm going to start thanking you because you've always taken care of me. You've always, in fact, last night, my, my family, we're, we're moving. Um, we're moving actually this afternoon, by the way. And I'm not moving out of the valley just to clear things, make sure things are really crystal. There goes our pastor. Oh, well, hey, see ya. No, we're not leaving. We're, do, we're renting in the valley. We're going to stay in the valley. I love being your pastor. I'm not leaving you. Um, but we are moving. Last night, we gathered our kids together, and we had a, a special time just being together, uh, sharing memories of 16 years of being in that house. Uh, my wife got some Chinese lanterns. We wrote things on those, and, and we lit them, and, and we let them off. We almost uh, burned down the house, but you know what? It was a beautiful moment. <laughs> but after we prayed, and I shared with my kids, and I got emotional, I said, you know what? We, were, we never should have been able to afford this house. Never. But God provided every single step of the way. There were times where I thought I was going to lose it. I didn't know how we were going to make it. There were times where I thought I should sell it. And, and the Spirit of God said, no, don't. And I look back at that, it gives me confidence. And, and it makes me thankful. So I come to God and I pray and I give it to him. And then I start thanking him. And we're going to do that in a minute when we start praising God together. But I just thank him. God, thank you. You've been so faithful to provide. You've been so faithful to me. The last thing that we need, because this is what happens when you do that. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That means I can't think how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to make, I don't know how our marriage is going to survive. I don't know how our business is going to make it. I, I don't know how I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my rent this month. I don't know how my, my, I'm going to make it through depression. I don't know how I'm going to beat cancer. I don't know, and I'm anxious about it. But when I give it to God and I start thanking him in advance, that's faith. Faith isn't on the other side when I've come through, but faith is in the middle of I'm going through all this, and in the middle I can thank God. I can praise him because I know my God is greater. And he transcends all the thoughts and understanding. It doesn't make sense to me how this is all going to work out, but something happens. The peace of God begins to guard my soul. And I don't have to fear. I don't have to be anxious. I can give it to God. Or the last one is this. you got to put boundaries in your relationships. This is really messing with some of you. Paul said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I don't believe Paul because in other passages of scripture, he talks about be in the world, but not of it. Uh, Paul didn't say that, but um, be in the world, but not of it, that, that we are. He said, I'm all things to all people. So it's obvious Paul wasn't saying, don't be with people that are unbelievers. We can't do that. We're supposed to be light in the darkness, salt of the earth, right? 
But what I believe Paul was saying is he was given an important principle, and that's this. A yoke was a wooden piece that would go on the back of, of oxen when they would plow. And there would usually be two oxen that would be under the same yoke. And the intention was is for the power of two to pull together to um, fulfill the purpose for which they were trying to be used. They were trying to plow ground so that seeds could be planted in the ground and those seeds would bear fruit and, and, and come to life. But what Paul was trying to give us a picture of is when, when you're in relationship with other people, who you're unequally yoked. In other words, you're trying to move forward in the plan and purpose of God that he has for you, but this other person isn't. They're not following after God. In fact, they're the weaker vessel. They would pair two oxen together of equal strength because if you try to, if you have one that's stronger than the other, one will be pulling and the other one will be dragging you and holding you back and making you stumble. That's a perfect picture of what some of you are experiencing in your relationships. You're trying to move forward in the things of God. You're trying to move forward in the plan and purpose and the, and the seeds that God is planting in the soil of your soul, but they're not taking root because every time you try to move forward into those things, you're being held back because you're tied to a relationship that's holding you back. You've heard the, the term soul tie. That's when we've actually given our soul. There's so many... Man, I could preach a whole message on this. Some of us are codependent. In other words, we're dependent on somebody else taking the place of God to meet a need in my life, an unhealthy need in my life. And because you meet that unhealthy need, I am meeting an un unhealthy need in you. And we, we become codependent in this relationship where we need each other and, and we miss out on the fact that God wants to heal that thing in your soul. So you don't have to be dependent upon anybody except for Him. Now, that, that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be in relationship. To the contrary, he does. But too many of us are in toxic relationships. And those relationships are messing with your soul and holding you back. God has so much more and better for you. Some of you, you've engaged in sexual relationships with people. And the Bible says that the intention for sex is within the context of holy matrimony. I say holy matrimony because I think we've lost the fact that that marriage is holy. It's sacred, instituted by God. And that there's something that happens on the soul level when we are married to another person, our souls are knit together. And so when you have sex outside of marriage, you're knitting your soul to somebody else. And then when that breaks up, it comes apart. Man, it, it's like the pulling of your soul being torn out. That's why it hurts so bad. When you, get, when you break up, some of us, we need to close that door and get back into sexual purity. And walk and trust God. Because that's really the issue. Do we trust God to meet our needs? Or do we need to take our life in our own hands? That's the original sin. It's a sin of pride. But I believe as we're closing, y'all good? Who's helping you? I believe that today, some of you, God brought you here because today is the day that you recover what the enemy stole from you. Some of your peace is gone. Some of you have got broken relationships. Some of you, your purity is gone. I believe God can restore that to you.
and recover it in your life. Some of you have been struggling with depression, sleeplessness, fear, depression. Some of you are addicted to things because you don't know what to do with these areas in your life. So you're just weighed down by them. Some of us, in the worst case scenario, we're, we're, we're oppressed. We allow the enemy to come into our soul. There's a story in 1 Samuel 30 where David, he, he had been out fighting with his men and he comes back. And he comes back and his wife and his children and everything he owned is gone. Completely demolished. And there's this interesting verse that says, and David, in the middle of that, losing everything, his soul was grieved and anguished and his men were ready to turn on him it says David strengthened himself in the Lord and then he recognizes I need a word from the Lord some of you need a word from the Lord right here right now and so he inquires of the Lord he prays he takes all his anxiety his fear and how he strengthens himself he prays to the Lord and he asks the Lord should I chase after this band of raiders Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will, look what he says, surely recover everything that he, that was taken from you. Now you could say, well, that was for King David. What about me? I believe that God can do the same thing for you. When we're willing to do two things. Number one, repent. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to recognize, God, forgive me for these areas that I've allowed the enemy into my life. I repent of them. In other words, I changed my mind. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do that. I want to close that door. So we close that door through repentance. The second thing is in what seals it is we apply the blood of Jesus over that door. That's what seals it. That's grace. That's what covers us. The blood of Jesus atones for, covers, forgives every sin, and it seals the door to your soul into my soul and says, no more. Today's the day I recover and I take back what the enemy stole from me. Some of you, that's your relationship with your wife, your husband. Some of you, that's your relationship with your kids. Some of you, it's your own sanity. It's your own peace. It's your own joy. I believe that God wants to restore the joy of your salvation back to some of you today. You've been going through the motions of the Christian life, but it's not fun. You feel like you're dragging through the mud and you want to be free of it. We're going to pray right now. Come on, if that's you, just raise your hand. If there's some things that you recognize that you want to take back from the enemy, hands all over, hands all over. Now I want to ask some of you that are here, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and today's the day you would say, this is the first step into your freedom. Is that you recognize you're a slave to sin. You've been a slave to sin your whole life and that sin has given the enemy of your soul legal access to your soul and you're tired of feeling the weight of guilt and shame and you want to be free. Today's the day you can be free. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Come on, just raise your hand. This is your moment. It's not a moment to be shy. Bless you, brother. God bless you. 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 God bless. Okay, everybody, let's pray this prayer together. Come on, yeah. Can we give it up for those people? That's a bold move. 
And guess what? We got baptisms next week. So you can sign up for baptisms at the Connect Center if you just raised your hand. And you can join us and let that old life be dead and buried with Christ and raised to new life in Him. Come on, it's going to be a, a Holy Ghost party up in here tomorrow. Uh, next week. Next <laughs> Tomorrow too. All right, come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Then we're going to allow the, um, the worship team to lead us and we're going to remind ourselves, God is my champion. I've got victory today because I recovered all that the enemy stole from me. So pray this prayer with me out loud, nice and loud now. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, as me. Today, I repent. I surrender my soul to you. Would you seal it with your blood? Give me a new heart and a new mind. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.